This is David Poland, and this is the audio podcast version of DP30. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm great. Have you been on this all day? You've been uh, bouncing from person to person around the country. Been a bit, a bit of a bit of a yeah, a bit of bounce, but it's been a long, long couple of weeks of bouncing. But I'm happy that people are interested in talking, so I'm happy to talk about it. Today we're talking to the director of the documentary The First Wave, Matthew Heineman. Have you got into some sort of normalcy in regular life? Are you in New York or are you, I assume you are. Uh, like, like, as in like, has New York gotten normal or has my, my life gotten normal? Your life in New if you have a life in New York. I have no life, but, but New York's, New York, normal people in New York have a life and they're somewhat back to normal. And is it feeling safe for you or is it feeling, does all this, does this experience change how you perceive what it is to be out there after all of this has happened? Are we? Are we? Is this? Are we going, or is this us just chatting? <laughs> chatting is what I do. No, I know, but I, I, like are we, this. This is. This is yeah, it? Yes, we're going. This is. We'll get. We'll get to the meat of things shortly. Okay. Um. Sorry. Do you mind saying that again? I don't remember what I said at this point. I just. I'm trying to just get a sense of whether the experience of this movie has changed how you experience normal life in this city. Yeah, as I said, I don't, I don't think I have much of a life these days. I think I'm, I'm, I've been pretty much, um, you know, working on this film. I have another film that I'm, I'm editing. Um, but in terms of the city itself, yeah, I think, I think it's starting to feel a bit normal. I mean, or I guess a new normal. Um, you know, people are going out to restaurants and and stuff. But obviously, you know, we've all been changed forever by this. So. What was your starting point? When did you decide it's time to pull out a camera? I first like became aware and started thinking about it as a film around sort of late January, 2020 at Sundance. Um, I didn't have any idea where this was all going to lead or, or what was going to happen. Um, but it wasn't really until in earnest until sort of early March um, when those first cases started to hit the U S that I started to look into making a film for real and what, what happened at Sundance that made you think of, I mean, what came up at Sundance? Just the fact that it was beginning to be acknowledged that it was happening in the United States. Well, no, at that point it was, it was, it was, you know, in Trump's words, uh, you know, well, I don't even want to repeat what Trump said, but it was a, uh, it was, it was, it was this mysterious virus in, in China at that point. Right. Um, and so I just, I was just, in, you know, wondering, you know, where this was all going to go. Um, but again, it wasn't until it started to sort of, First, get reported in the U.S. Large, you know, around here, Seattle, different places. That I, I started to reach out to hospital systems around the U.S. to try to do what I've tried to do in my other films, which is put a human face um, to the to this thing that we're being inundated with with news articles and stats and headlines and misinformation. Frankly, um, I think I felt this huge responsibility to try to show what was ha- happening inside hospitals and how. Incredible. I mean, it must have been incredibly challenging on some level. But how did you get first? Get what did you get your first access to somebody who was actually willing to let you in? We got rejected from almost every hospital we, we reached out to. Um, but then I finally got access, you know, in my backyard here in New York, uh, fortuitously um, through an introduction of a participant in a previous one that I made about healthcare escape fire. He was the former head of Medicare and Medicaid under Obama, and he introduced me to the head of Northwell Health, 
the largest healthcare system in New York and said that I was a decent human being and uh, that I could be trusted. And, and um, you know, it's through the introduction that I eventually got access to film at Long Island Jewish Medical Center in Queens, uh, where, you know, the majority of the, the film takes place. Did you have a convincing pinch, pitch, do you think, or did you, did he have a motive to want to let you have, you know, see what's actually happening? I think they felt, sorry for the changing light here. I think they felt like I felt that, that we had this sort of moral obligation to, to document this, you know, once in a lifetime pandemic. Um, you know, I think one of the greatest tragedies of COVID is the fact that we as a general public, as an American public, were so shielded from what was happening inside hospitals. And, you know, if you look at wars throughout history, the Vietnam War, World War II, and obviously people kept talking about COVID as a war, you know, doctors on the front lines. Mm -hmm. We didn't see those images that we saw coming out of Vietnam or Iraq or World War II, which informed public discourse. You know, journalism exists for a reason. You know, we, we need to know what is happening in our world. And we were so shielded from it. And I think that's part of what allowed COVID, which could have brought our country together, um, to become so politicized, you know, because, they're, 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 you know, and the fact that truth and science and all this stuff became politicized is so deeply saddening to me. And so I think that is, even at that early stage of March, it was becoming clear that that was happening. And I think that is, that is a huge reason why we, you know, me and my team and they, the hospital system, felt such a huge responsibility to, to show this. One of the things that's so striking about your film is that that the couple really good, I think, Chinese documentaries about that first period, the first wave, um, are much more distant emotionally, I think, than yours somehow. I mean, they have very personal stories in them, but they don't have the kind of uh, simple intimacy uh, of sick people, really, primarily, that you, you achieved in your film. I I mean, there's, there's been a lot of great documentaries made about COVID and, you know, 76 Days, I think, is an incredible film uh, that I loved. Um, you know, I, I think they had a lot of challenges in making that film. Um, and, and it was made very fast, obviously. Uh, we, I, I really wanted to try to, as I do with, with all my films, you know, make it character-driven, make it intimate, make it make you feel like it, what it feels like to be a doctor, to be a patient, to be a family member of someone. Um, and, and, and the fact that we had the, you know, really the privilege of filming this over, you know, through, you know, four or five months um, and to, to really have the opportunity to really get to know our subjects over that time. That was really, really important to me. You know, I wanted to make you feel all the things that we felt while making it. And I think 76 Days is great also. I mean, I really do think it's a fine film. And I think the other couple of films are great also or important. They're all part of the picture. But there, there is a, a dogged intimacy in your film that I don't think they chose to do in the other films. You know, yeah. That just a little bit of a diff distance and you are um, really in everybody's lap. Yeah. And uh, yeah, <laughs> I, you know, I... I it was an incredibly emotional journey in making this film. It was terrifying. You know, when you having made films in conflict zones around the world, um, Mexico, 
Middle East. I just got back from Afghanistan this summer or on a new film I'm making. Um, you can sort of like somewhat detach when you come home uh, to New York where I live uh, or wherever you live. But um, and and although these stories sort of never really leave you with this, it was just a it was a 24 seven full on experience. You know, we were living the same thing we were documenting. Um, and it was, it was terrifying, but I think what inspired us, what inspired me, what drove us every single day, um, was the amazing beauty, humanity, courage, fortitude, love that we witnessed every single day. I mean, it was, it was, I didn't, I didn't go to bed at night, you know, feeling depressed about the state of the world, although it was a scary time. I went to bed at night feeling just really inspired. And, and I hope that the film, um, while difficult at times, reflects that. So what was it functionally like the first time you guys went on that floor uh, and had to go in? Were you guys wearing suits? Were you were, I mean, how, how, you know, covered up were you? And how strange was it for everybody to have another you know, set of bodies in there that weren't directly working on the patients. It was absolutely terrifying. I mean, again, I, I, this is probably too personal for this conversation, but my, my father battled cancer for most of my childhood um, through my teenage years into my college years and almost died a, a number of times. And so honestly, there's nothing scarier. I sort of have this thing in my head. There's nothing scarier than walking into a hospital for me. Um, I'd rather honestly be in like a shootout in the middle of Mexico than walk into a hospital. So there's this, this huge psychological hurdle <laughs> just to even walk into the hospital, let alone a hospital with, you know, a bunch of people on the brink of death. And, and also, you know, we're all sort of doggedly looking at all the stats and the likelihood of getting this when you, when all you see every day is the, that, you know, 1% of people who are the sickest of the sick, it obviously gets to you. Um, but again, I think we, we, we just felt this huge responsibility to tell us, we, we didn't have hazmat suits on, you know, we just wore N95 masks. PPE was so, um, scarce at the time. So we were just, yeah everybody and so we were just given you know one n95 mask for for two weeks that we had to keep reusing mm -hmm. we wore scrubs um to sort of melt into the the background of the hospital um and we did the best we could with the very limited amount of science available at the time but it was a crazy endeavor i mean you know everything was sort of a weapon at that point our law putting a lav mic on someone had the ability of transmitting the disease putting our camera on a counter you know, touching the wrong doorknob. I mean, we, again, if you if you just go back to that time when we knew so little, obviously a lot of that has proven to be, not, just, you know, that that's not actually how it's transmitted. But at that time, we thought that's how it was transmitted. Yeah. So, yeah, just every single action was 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 scary. Um, even just getting footage to our assistant editors, you know, just every every single the, the logistics of making this were incredibly difficult. And how did you deal with the patients that you did include? I mean, they, they didn't really have their families with them to, to consent or not consent or whatever. Did you, did you just shoot and then figure out consent later in the process or? So for the, for the patients that we followed intimately, um, Ahmed Ellis, uh, a school safety officer with the NYPD, 
in Brussels, Gabon, a, a nurse um, who gave birth and and was COVID positive, gave birth and then was intubated right afterwards. Um, you know, we, we had heard about both of them um, and then reached out to their families to gain their permission before we started filming with them. So, um, but it was, you know, it was, it was a very difficult situation often um, in, in gaining consent uh, for people that obviously often couldn't consent. Yeah, it's hard to imagine any situation that would be worse, given that nobody really knew what was going on. They didn't know their family was going to be live or dead or what their status was really, because they had no access. They didn't, and, and you know, and that's one of the most insidious aspects of COVID is how isolating it was, how how these life or death decisions were being made through iPads and iPhones, um, and and that family members couldn't go visit their loved ones, and that people were dying alone. I mean, it was really, really, really tragic, and you know, I, I we owe so much to these families that allowed us to film at such an incredibly difficult time. Um, and I think they felt like we felt that this had to be documented. Well, I mean, you have the intimate, the, the scene early on where the gentleman who's about to be intubated and is you know, having a hard time and his family wants to say goodbye or hello or love or whatever. And all he really wants to do is be able to breathe again. You know, and it's uh, incredible. One of the first many intense scenes in the, uh, in the film. So once you started shooting somebody once you had somebody on the in your you know that you were able to have access to was did you just shoot as much as you could what was the uh because you capture obviously very intimate moments um but it's uh, I'm curious whether there's you know 50 hours more of footage of each of these people sitting around on your floor not that they do that anymore but <laughs> um in hard drives uh I mean, of course, yeah, the film is what, 93 minutes? I think we shot 1,500 hours of footage. So I'm not good at math, but that's a small percentage of <laughs> what was used. Um, I always wanted to make this about a few individual people that we followed. And and so um, at first, the sort of rules with the hospital were that, you know, we could only focus on healthcare workers, doctors and nurses. And then after we showed them that, you know, we had a small footprint that we, you know, filmed with integrity and honesty, um, they allowed us to start talking to patients and filming with patients. And so that was about, you know, a week or so later. And, um, but yeah, no, I mean, it was, it was the process of, of, gaining that trust and, 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 you know, and becoming part of the fabric of the daily lives of our subjects was, you know, sometimes had to happen instantly. And sometimes that trust was, was developed over, you know, weeks. Um, but I, I, I think that there's no question that in the first couple of days, first couple of weeks, I think a lot of people were confused why the camera was in the hospital. Um, but I think after, you know, after a couple of weeks, you know, we really became a part of the, of the fabric of the daily life of the organism of this place. And by the end of it, I mean, we'd been on every single floor, every single, almost every single room. Um, you know, people knew who we were and we weren't um, this sort of foreign invader. One shooting team in the hospital? Sometimes we had multiple teams shooting, um, very small footprint. Often it's a shooter and a producer or shooter and me or me shooting. I mean, it was... It was, uh, it, was, it was very small, um, 
but you know, we had an, had an amazing team of um, DPs that I worked with and, and field producers. And I mean, there's a big, big logistical complicated puzzle um, because we're following multiple characters at once. We so naively thought that this thing was going to last for one or two weeks. So we're really shooting like 16 to 18 hours a day in the beginning. Obviously it lasted a little bit longer than that. And we ended up filming for months and we're still living with it today. So when the teams went home, when you guys were done, somebody was done for a day, was it, was it more complicated for you all than it normally is on a shoot? Was it, did you all have to check in in a different way to see where everybody else was and make sure everybody was staying healthy and all of those things? Oh my God. That was, yeah, it was a whole, it was a whole ordeal. I mean, you know, we had to don and off the PPE. And we had this, they were, we were fortunate to get this conference room at the hospital where we could keep our equipment, but we had to clean off our equipment and then, you know, go home and, and strip down in our hallway. And, you know, often I'm, I, I don't have a family and, uh, you know, I'm not married. Uh, but for those who, who were, we, we, would often get them apartments or hotels to be away from their family um, during that time, you know, get them ever in rental cars so they didn't have to use their own car, um, keep equipment in. I mean, there's a whole, there's a whole operation. Um, and it would often take, I mean, often when you finish a shoot, you go off and have dinner, see your friends. I mean, it was sometimes two, three, four hours before you could actually quote unquote relax. Um, well, you know, so much of the film is about the survivors, essentially, the, the nurses and doctors who, who would come out of this, that it's, it'd be almost fascinating to see a documentary about your crew doing this, who are all survivors. And I'm sure we're dealing emotionally with all of that as well. Yeah, I just don't find myself interesting or, <laughs> you know, there's a reason why I'm not in my films, nor the processes are in my films, you know. Some people critique me for that. Um, I'm sure some people would like to see that film. I would probably want to see that film, just not about myself. So in the process of, do, of actually produce, of making the film, do you have a sense of when you've captured something that's going to be part of the film in a film, like, in a situation like this? For sure. I mean, there's, there's scenes that are undeniable that like, you know, it's like a, you know, it's like a relationship. There's a, you know, when you fall in love or, you know, it's right. Like there's, there's scenes when you're shooting in a documentary that you just, that are like, um, undeniably going to be in the movie. Um, and you know, whether it's the scene with Dr. Duje, or, you know, our principal doctor that we follow, um, she has this incredible emotional monologue when she breaks down in the hallway halfway through the movie um, or seen with her out on the streets uh, after the killing of George Floyd in, in an interaction that she has with a young man or, um, you know, when, when one of our patients is able to go come home and, and see his family for the first time after surviving, you know, th these are all, I mean, all these scenes, like I, I at the time we're obviously going to be in the movie. Um, so um, yeah. And then, and then there's a lot of other things that you're sort of weaving in and connecting uh, the pieces on. Well, as you said, there's hundred hours is a lot going on. Yeah. I, in the edit room, I, I often just cut, I cut my best scenes first and, and, and start to create arcs with, with our subjects. Um, so that's, that's generally where we start. 
in, in almost every single minute of the day in the edit room, whether it's Cartelian or City of Ghosts or this, or even a private war, my narrative film, although a different set of circumstances, is let's let the audience feel what it felt like to be in those rooms, to feel those, those, those phone calls or those beeps or the rushing down the hallway and the cacophony of those sounds or, um, or the empty streets of New York or the filled streets of New York after the protest. Like there's, a, there's an energy that you feel when you're shooting. And as someone who shoots, I really feel that energy. I really feel those emotions. And so I also edit and, and had an amazing team of editors that we worked with just every single day. I'm like, let's, 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 if we can get like 5% of what it felt like in real life, then we succeeded. So that's always the goal is to sort of put you back in the shoes of, of those moments and make you feel like you're there. So as you're going through all this footage, do you conversely have a moment where you found, did you find anything that we now see in the film that was like, Oh my God, I didn't know we had that, but wow. I think that, I think the, the sort of buddy comedy of, of, of Ahmed, one of our patients that we followed and his physical therapist. Um, we knew that relationship was great. I, I don't think we knew how great and, and, and it really came out in the edit, how, how important that relationship was. Um, and that, you know, we're allowed to laugh in this movie and there, there's, a, there's a few laughs that we get out of, out of Carl, who's, a, who's, who's quite a funny man. Um, so I think that discovery that, that, that both the need to open up the film and the intensity of the film in the, in the third act and, and, and the sort of few moments of levity that we get um, in that relationship, that, 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 that was, I wouldn't say like a full discovery in the editor room, right. but it was something that like we, we found in the editor room. Well, one of the things that's also beautiful about that relationship is how they seem really, really different. Like these are not two people who would be friends in the real world. It doesn't feel like, I mean, they might be turned into friends, but they seem very different styles. And yet there's that love and that need that's uh, so powerful. And that's what I love about making films is like, you just, you just, you can't write this stuff. Like you never write that relationship or if you wrote it, it would feel fake or forced or like, you know, you're trying to, you know, show how human beings can coexist or whatever. They just coexisted and they loved each other. And, and a huge part of healthcare is the ability to instantly create a connection with somebody and inspire them to heal doctors and nurses and, and you know, they give drugs, they do other things, but a huge part of the healing process is the, is the human connection that, that they make and, and the trust that is built. And so Carl had this amazing ability to really quickly develop bonds with people and connect with them on a human level. And that love and that relationship was real. And they're still friends, you know, they, that, that, uh, I can't remember, it was one of Ahmed's family members who, who, when, when, uh, not to give away the end of the movie, but when, when he's, you know, leaving the hospital, you know, come over for barbecue anytime, Carl, like they, he, they barbecue together and, you know, they're still friends. So do you ever get used to it after it's done or while it's being done? I mean, I, for me watching the movie, the first 10 minutes, I had a, an almost fight or flight reflex. Like I wasn't sure I could emotionally, it, it was so immediately powerfully emotional to me. Um, 
having just lived through part of this, you know, a couple of years ago, um, it was it was incredibly intense feeling emotionally for me. Um, and the movie continued to to take me down that path, but in different ways. And and my you know, I guess I I balanced myself out. For you, did it ever feel like a movie? Did it ever feel like you were you know doing your work? No. I mean, if I think I'm understanding the question correctly, like, like, did it feel like a job? Well, no, it's, I mean, it's, to me, it is such an emotional piece. There is so much vivid emotion in the piece. And then, of course, we all have the experience of this together in this country, in this world, uh, in the last two years, that it, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like there's a, a, a point of disconnection or kind of like objectivity almost. And I wonder whether for you as a filmmaker, whether you ever had that a sense of that kind of objectivity where you were kind of, your emotions were less invested for a minute or two or for. No, no. I mean, I feel a lot of things <laughs> and I felt a lot of things throughout this process and we've all felt a lot of things. And, and I hope that the film reflects that. You know, we've we've all been changed forever. You've you've been changed. I've been changed. The fabric of society has been changed. The way we communicate has been changed. Um, every single person on this earth, is somewhat in some way, has been touched by this pandemic, and and so I really hope that the film creates a space for us to reflect on what we've all been through, and what have we learned, and where are we now, and 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 as we sort of start to move away from it all. How can we be better? Have you seen it with an audience yet? Or will I've seen it be the beginning. I've seen it a bunch of times with an audience. Not, not I, you know, a couple of dozen times probably. And it's been it's been some of the most emotional screenings of my life. Um, I think going back to your previous question, I mean, it's sort of it's been from shooting to editing this film to now marketing and, and you know going doing screenings and Q and A's, it's sort of, it's been a nonstop emotional roller coaster, And um, it's a lot, you know, like it's a lot for, for everyone to come together, the, the participants in the film to be at Q and A's and to see the film and to see the audiences react. And I think it's been really beautiful to see people see this film together. You know, we've been so isolated. We've been so separated both from our emotions and from actual human beings. And so there's just something sort of both meta and, and actually intensely physical about seeing this film with human beings in the same space and crying together and laughing together. And, it, and, it, and it's felt cathartic in some way. Well, you know, the energy of screenings is, is unique and singular putting people to get in a room together. It, it, has the feeling though, from screening to screening, ultimately been somewhat similar in this case? Um, I wouldn't say similar. I think similar has a possibility of being connoted as like boring or, or, or like flat. I, I would say it's been similarly emo deeply emotional um, across all the screenings, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I've, I've done festivals where we, you know, show a film four or five times and had very, very different reactions from the audience. And you can just feel the energy is different in the room. And it feels like somehow in this, there, there's a universality 
uh, in this movie, because of everybody having gone through different variations of this, that uh, it would seem it would be more consistent, I guess is the word. Well, and the, you know, the big million dollar concern, million, I don't know, sorry, I'm mixing metaphors or, uh, <laughs> you know, the big concern in, in, in making this film is, you know, I want to, and it sounds probably too high-minded, but I want to make make I wanted to make something that was both deeply timely, but also timeless. And I also wanted to make sure that while focusing on one hospital in New York, that this touched on universal themes that we all experienced. So it's been nice to travel the, with a movie both across the country and the world to see that this has similarly impacted people and audiences. Um, despite geographic, uh, you know, and countrywide differences. Well, it's interesting because the Cuomo in it is uh, a surprise in a way at first because of things that have gone since this all happened. Um, but then again, then it makes complete sense because even though whatever else has happened in his world, um, he was a unifying force and a voice, a narrator, really, for all of our experiences at that time. <laughs> Completely. I mean, you know, there's no Fauci in the film. There's no Trump. Those are very vivid and distinct choices. Um, I didn't want to make this about politics. I don't want to make this about how we got here, what went wrong, or who's at fault. Andrew Cuomo is in this film not as a to sort of analyze his performance or as, as a human being or as a governor. He, whether we liked it or not, was this sort of metronome of information daily, uh, both for New, Yorker, New Yorkers and people across the country and, in fact, the world. So that's why he's in the film is sort of, you know, mimicking that experience that we had and really bringing you back to that first wave when he really did provide that information for us. Did you have any questions about going into the refrigerator van? I don't think I've ever seen that before anywhere. And it is heart stopping moment in the film. There's a version of this movie that is 10 times more intense than you saw, mm. which is the reality of what we experienced in making it and, and, you know, doctors and nurses experienced in living it. Um, we're going to lose a whole generation of, of, of doctors and nurses after this. It's already happening. Um, the, 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 the trauma, the long-term effects of this are undeniable. So I felt a, a deep responsibility to not sugarcoat what happened um, while also being cognizant of the reality that I wanted people to stay in their seats at home or wherever and watch this movie and make it palatable and make it watchable, but also, again, not shying away from, from the, the realities of what was happening. And so we're in the edit room constantly sort of, you know, playing with that lever of, of how much to show or not to show. But, but I can tell you for sure that every single frame every single pixel every single sound was debated about was argued about was considered was 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 thought about and and we really yeah didn't want to make anything feel ex exploitative would there ever be another version of the film that you would make i don't think so i mean this this I, I'm barely even able to handle what, what we've all been through. I, I, the idea of going back to the footage um, and showing, I don't know why we would. Um, well, I guess but, the, the reality of the situation and, and, and the, the degree of harshness that you suggest is there, which I'm sure is there, um, is informative in a different way. Obviously, it's going to be that it would have a very small audience comparatively to what this film will probably have. But 
Um, it's an interesting, you know, when you have the, when you have the material, it's almost like the Beatles thing, this, I mean, it's a ridiculous comparison on some level, sorry, but you know, you have the get back movie where they play on the roof and all that stuff that we've seen 20, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. And then now you have Peter Jackson doing three hours of it because he found all the footage and found all the, you know, the intimacies and the intricacies because the, the value of the story still exists. This story obviously will be forever. Um, and you have more than your, than this film, which is an amazing film, but it's an interesting challenge for a filmmaker, I think. Yeah. But I, you know, I'm, I'm proud of, of the decisions we made and, and what we ended up film, uh, including the film. And I, yeah, I can't imagine, uh, Going back to it, I think honestly, and and it's been a difficult, it's been a weird film to sort of promote um, and to do press for, um, because I don't know why I put quotes over that, around that, but because um, it doesn't feel right. <laughs> in some ways, it doesn't feel right, but also, I, again, I I feel not because of my career or because of the film itself. I I, I feel like it's an important film for people to see. And I know, I know that there's a barrier to entry. I know that people are nervous about this film. I know that people are scared about seeing it. I know that, you know, we as Americans have this tendency to want to, if something bad happens, to move on as fast as possible. And, and you know, there's just look around, you know, we're, we're all trying to move on and forget. Um, so uh, that's why it's, it's a complicated thing. Because I, I want to talk about it. I want to make sure that I want to try to lower the barrier to entry for people to see this film because I, I really do feel like it's important. I also feel like based on my experience of screening it, that people walk away sort of feeling what I, what I said about said earlier, they feel better about the world. Yes. It was incredibly difficult. Yes. There was difficult things to see and to re reflect on, but ultimately it's about how human beings came together in the face of crisis. And that's, that's a beautiful thing to see, especially as we confront other things going forward. Well, it's been a good, really good year for documentary. And, um, you know, I didn't see this one coming, <laughs> but I, I, it's, it is, it's just, it's, a, it's working in a different room. You know, it's just the, because of the content, because of what it is you covered and the fearlessness with which you guys covered it. Um, it's, uh, it's a landmark. It's an important film, I think. So you should be very proud. <laughs> Well, I, I appreciate it, and, and I always love chatting with you. So, thank you for taking the time. A pleasure. And uh, tomorrow night, your doc NYC premiere. It is. Yeah. So, and you have people there, so that'd be good. It'll be uh, all the people in the film. It'll be a couple hundred healthcare workers. It'll be. Um, it'll should be a very emotional night. I wish I could be there, but I'm not crazy enough to get on a plane. <laughs> hey, thank you so much for your time, and thank you for the movie. Yeah, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Take care. Bye.